On this episode of AvTalk, we take a look at the commercial aviation situation in Ukraine. The FAA takes away Boeing's ability to self-certify the 787 when deliveries resume. And the Singapore Air Show is this week. We check in on orders and see who's taking what home from the show. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. How are you, Ian? I'm all right, Jason. I'm all right. That's great. I am a little I'm a little under the weather. I'm fighting off a normal cold. I forgot that those also exist. How many COVID tests have you taken, just to be sure? I've got one test swab in each nostril as we speak. So That's good. You can't be too sure. I've taken quite a few and and luckily my, my son gets PCR'd once a week at school. So that came back negative. So it's just a standard cold which is, I guess, somehow even less fun Almost disappointing. Now. Yeah. It's, uh, I won't go that far, but but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. How, how are you, sir? I, I'm better than you, apparently. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. That's all I got. Podcasting with cold medicine. That's mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. that's the, the title of this we week's episode. We have uh, different medicines today. There you go. You, sir, are doing some traveling this week, I believe. I am. I have a very last moment booked trip out to Seattle to visit some friends. That's fun. Sticking with Delta because it was just a, a cheap, maybe not cheap, but inexpensive option on the stately 767-300ER and then the, I think, 757-200 on the way back. So that's, you know, the pride of Delta's fleet. <laughs> I mean that in the most sincere, non-sarcastic way. I love those two aircraft. I know. We talked about this not not even three, four episodes ago when we were talking about the 767 and how much we both love it. I can't speak for the 757-200 because I haven't been on one in I don't know how long. But they are well, – I mean the 757 is fun to ride. And the 767, it's just you get on it and you're just – you're comfortable. You're enveloped in a in a nice warm hug. Especially the Delta ones because they don't envelop you in a nice warm hug. They give you a nice cold hug because the flight attendants always keep that plane crispy cold and I, I love it. I enjoy I, – I don't know if – have we ever talked about that on the podcast? There was a review about TAP. I'll, I'll leave it at that, from John Walton, <laughs> who's been on the podcast before. And, and, and one of his critiques, among very few critiques, actually, about the A330neo business class experience was the cabin was just too freaking hot. And they were departing out of Miami, so it's already hot there to begin with. But a hot cabin is just something that, for me, often ruins an otherwise very good experience because there's, there's nothing you can do about it, especially with most modern aircraft. They don't have the personal air vents and the the passenger service unit overhead. So whatever the temperature is, the temperature is. And that sucks. I hate that. I completely agree. I know there are some people who are always cold and are always complaining about being cold on an airplane. And, and, And I get that. But you can always put clothes on or put a blanket on or two or three and get a little warmer. And then one of the big problems is that lack of air vents. I know that when I fly, that's like one of the – it's almost like a little bonus to still be on a plane with an air vent because yeah. you know you can at least kind of control the environment a little bit. It's one of the things I love about the Delta 767s because if you turn that nozzle on, it feels like you're being hit with gale force winds. They are very, very powerful and there have been times – on transatlantic flights on those particular aircraft that I have actually myself been too cold, which is fantastic. 
But I get why airlines don't have it in modern aircraft. It's one more thing to break. It's expensive. It, it's heavy. But it just makes the experience so much better if I can maybe not regulate my own temperature, but but cool down if I need to. I've, I've been on far too many business class or even economy class trips that were fantastic except for the cabin being too hot, which just ruins everything else in my opinion. But I digress. If you're not comfortable, you're, you're not comfortable in that completely right. takes away the enjoyment of the rest of the flight. Doesn't matter how comfortable the seat is, doesn't matter how good the food is, if I'm sweating while I try to sleep, it, it's a bad time. And I know some people completely the opposite, where they enjoy a very warm climate. I mean, they're wrong, but they have the right <laughs> Tell us if we're right, if we're wrong. Just drop us a note, podcast at fr24.com. I'm, I'm curious to see what other people think. And when you're flying, do you miss having the overhead or is it not even something that you consider? And and are we just very air oriented, I guess here? We'll figure that one out. Shall we dive in to the stories of the week, good sir? Yes. Where do we begin? Well, I, I think we have to start with the continuing no news is good news situation in Ukraine. There's a lot going on for nothing happening. Yes. Remember, we are recording this on Wednesday, February 16th. By this uh, Friday, February yeah. 18th, yes. this could be a very different story. So uh, just keep that in mind. I mean, best case scenario is the, the podcast comes out Friday morning. Everyone has taken their toys and gone home. Worst case scenario, what we're about to talk about for the next few minutes is completely irrelevant because a shooting war has started. I'm hoping for the former. I really am. So this week, things kind of came to a different level. The talks between various parties have been ongoing, trying to avert a Russian invasion of Ukraine. There continues to have been a military buildup, a slight military withdrawal on the Russian side. Troops are moving some into closer positions, some away. There have been sea exercises by the Russian military. On top of all of this, commercial aviation, the effects on commercial aviation, which is generally what we focus on, haven't been felt too much before this week when some of the lessors and insurance companies decided that things had escalated enough that they were no longer going to provide insurance on certain aircraft. And so this has affected Ukraine International Airlines, it has affected Sky Up, and it has affected a new airline that only started a few months ago. Not bees. Yeah, bees. Oh, poor bees. Exactly. So bees has moved their fleet of Aquata 737s, keeping them basically based not in Ukraine. Ukraine International Airlines moved a handful of 737s to Castellon in Spain for for storage. They moved a pair of 737s to Belgrade. They figured, well, we can't do anything with them now, so we're going to take this opportunity to perform some heavy maintenance. So at least those will be able to be put back into service relatively quickly when, when the maintenance is, is completed. And then where passengers were most affected was a sky up flight that actually had to divert because they got news mid-flight that they weren't going to be – their coverage had expired basically and they cannot fly to Ukraine. Well, that's unfortunate but prudent I guess on behalf of the, the leasing companies since these aircraft are obviously very, very expensive machines and you don't want them in what may become 
an active war zone and become casualties of that war. As we speak, there are still plenty of airlines operating into Ukraine. I see Lot right now has a bunch of flights. Pegasus, I think Lufthansa was operating earlier. Did I see that right? There's still plenty of flights. Yeah, most airlines are are still operating. There, there was concern at the beginning of the week that when these things kind of started to come out, the story was that no flights will be available to Ukraine based on what kind of the news was coming out about the insurance insurance availability. What it turns out is, is that insurance availability was mostly affecting airlines that are based in Ukraine. So basically parking aircraft on the ground overnight for a long period of time, those are where the bases are. Those are the airlines that are becoming affected, not all the aircraft in their fleets. Ukraine International Airlines still has a, a number of aircraft that are operating because they are not affected by the insurance restrictions. Lufthansa is operating, lots operating. Air Baltic actually added flights to Kyiv. So, I mean, making a show of, they sent out a press release and everything, you know, making a show of that we are seeing demand and we're trying to meet that demand. The other interesting little switch was with Qatar Airways. They have two daily flights. They canceled the morning flight and then operated what is normally an A320, operated with a 777-300ER. So consolidated it to one daily flight and then upgaged it to a 777-300ER. Well, that's just smart. On the other hand, side of the coin, there are a few airlines that have ceased operations into at least Kiev at this point. Uh, KLM has canceled all of its flights for three days now uh, since the 13th. It looks like El Al at, at least has canceled one flight. I'm not sure if that's uh, an ongoing thing. And Fly Dubai as well possibly has canceled some or several of its flights, maybe just a one-off in that situation. But it's a very, very fluid situation. But the one we do know for sure is KLM has uh, ceased flying to Kiev from Amsterdam for the time being. Well, I mean, that really comes out of what happened in 2014. KLM is, I don't want to say overly sensitive, but has a higher sensitivity to what is happening in Ukraine because of what happened to MH17, because there were so many Dutch citizens on board, because the Dutch government, the Dutch prosecutor has spearheaded the the investigation and the prosecution of the shootdown of MH17. It's much more visceral in the Netherlands. And so KLM, I think wisely for, for them, have decided that they're going to play it as safe as possible and just not fly there. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. A lot of the questions that I've gotten this week from people on social media, from media around the world writing in to us has been, so, so how are things different? Who's not flying and who's flying and, and things like that? We just talked about all of the flights to Ukraine, mostly to Kyiv. Some other flights to secondary cities have been impacted kind of in a one-off scenario, but everything is still operating for the most part. But a lot of the things that I've had to say this week is it hasn't changed really since 2014. I mean, looking back, I've been looking back at the data from from July 2014 when MH17 w- was shot down, and in the air at the time were flights from Singapore Airlines, Eva, Emirates, Lufthansa, KLM, major airlines were were still using at the time using Ukrainian airspace, transiting uh, the bulk of Ukrainian airspace in between places in Southeast Asia and and Europe and Air India, which to make it to Europe and North America. And so all of those airlines and nearly all airlines 
transiting east to west or west to east have avoided Ukrainian airspace, have avoided the majority of Ukrainian airspace since 2014. The FAA has a, a prohibition on transiting the basically the eastern third of the country, has a risk assessment for 100 nautical miles from the Russian border all around. So there's not really been a, there hasn't really been a change to how commercial airlines are operating through Ukraine. Yeah, north south flights also along the the eastern portion of Ukraine are are still also going around sometimes to to great length to avoid Ukrainian airspace. So like you said Ian, not much has changed in that regard. Yeah, if there is a war between Russia and Ukraine, if Russia does invade Ukraine, that could change and the impact to flights could be even greater. And Remember, we've already had the issue of flights avoiding Ukraine and having to find a different route through. So before last summer, you had flights transiting Poland into Belarus and then into Russia to avoid Ukraine and then making a turn. Well, now most flights, passenger flights at least, are still avoiding Belarus because of what happened with Ryanair 4978. So your options are either go north through the Baltic states and into Russia or come down through Romania and Bulgaria, which is what a bulk of kind of intercontinental flights do between Europe and Asia. This is only possible because before, I mean, it's kind of like one of those domino effects because before flights were avoiding Iraq. So this wouldn't have been possible before. Now it's possible again. Airspace keeps getting restricted and unrestricted and it's a very tense situation for a lot of airlines. The big question I, I think that no one really knows the answer to is if there's war, if Russia does invade Ukraine and the US and European countries decide to put in the sanctions that they have promised, how does Russia react to those sanctions and do Western airlines, do European airlines, do North American airlines lose their access to Russian airspace? Probably, almost certainly, right? And if that happens, we've talked a lot in the past year and a half, two years about global supply chains and problems with getting goods to where they need to be and how air cargo has helped with that. If those airlines lose access to Russian airspace, things get I don't want to say immeasurably because we can certainly measure it if it happens, but unbelievably more complicated. Yeah. And we already see that today when airlines don't, for whatever reason, have a Russian overflight permit. Just look at Americans, I believe it's Mumbai to New York JFK route, who for a while maybe still didn't have Russian overflight permits. And more often than not, that flight could not make it nonstop as advertised. They had to divert to Bangor somewhere in, in northern Canada just because they couldn't enter Russian airspace. So it has a measurable impact and hopefully we don't see that spread to literally every flight. Yeah. And that flight's in the air right now. We're recording Wednesday, February 16th. So that flight's in the air right now and it's filed. It's the Delhi flight. It's, it's Delhi JFK. Ah. Delhi to JFK, as soon as it takes off, we get the diverting to Bangor. And that is both because it can't fly over can't fly over Russia but also because US flights can't transit Afghanistan or can only transit that extremely small portion of far eastern Afghanistan along that one specific airway 
So they fly north, they transit that one specific point, then they basically make a hard left turn and cross through Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, avoiding Iranian airspace, coming through Azerbaijan, Turkey, and then they fly basically up through Europe like it's a flight from Istanbul, and they have to stop for gas in Bangor. We talk about you know going green in, in the aviation industry. Imagine how much fuel could be saved. This starts to stray from the topics of the podcast, but imagine just how much fuel could be saved if geopolitics were not a concern. Yeah, geopolitics is kind of a bitch, especially when you look at a flight like this, where it really does <laughs> That's go the title for the episode. There you go. So it goes over India, Pakistan, enters Tajikistan, makes a hard left turn, goes over Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Turkey. Romania cuts through Hungary, Slovakia, Poland, and then gets into the Nordics, they're paying for every country they're flying over as well, which is probably a lot more than just overflying Russia. So not only is it not good for an environmental point of view, but also for Americans' bottom line, I'm sure. For so many reasons. It's, it's also terrible for so many for reasons. Dispatching, that's a huge pain in the ass for everybody involved. You know what? I feel like we should have, I mean, assuming they'd come out and talk about this, that would be fantastic to have an American Airlines dispatcher come on and tell us how they plan that flight. Sometimes it does actually make it to New York nonstop. It doesn't look like it happens often, but if the weather is just right, they can do it once or twice, it looks like. Oh, man. Oh, I just do not envy the dispatcher. I mean, can you, I guess they've, kind of figured it out now. But the first time you're like, wait, how do I have to plan this? Yeah, that's not great. But they did it on February 16th, which is today because the flight left at 12.55 a.m. So yesterday they did it nonstop. Good for 15 them. 15 hours, 53 minutes. Not happening today. So that's the situation as it stands now. As we said when we started this discussion, it could change at any time. Hopefully, it doesn't and and everyone goes home and this has all been for I'm not sure what, but that's a different podcast that you can learn more about international affairs from. But as of right now, we're keeping a very close eye on, on how aviation is being affected by this and we'll see if there's anything else to report next week. Last week, we talked to Ned Russell about the proposed merger between Frontier and, and Spirit Airlines and the day that happened, Frontier's computers went down. And this week, Spirit's computers went down. Yeah, love those corporate synergies. <laughs> it, this was a, a relatively minor one. It, it wasn't like a, an hour, hour, hours long situation like Frontier, where basically their whole operation was sidelined for the day, which, by the way, Cranky Flyer has a, a very good analysis of Frontier's quite excellent recovery from its not great day uh, where they had that IT outage. A combination of factors, the route network, the, the time of day, the, the schedule for the following day, all kind of came together to make them hit the reset button. And the next day, it was like nothing happened, which is really good luck for them. But the Spirit one, just they haven't had an IT meltdown in a little while. So just odd to see both of those happen within the same week. Yeah, not to rag on spirit. And they, I mean, it was just, I, I think they were, what, down for an hour or something like yeah, that. Something it, was, like it, was, that. Yeah. it was one of those things where as soon as it got picked up, it was over. Yeah. So an interesting announcement this week that we've given a lot of grief 
to EV calls and, and things like that. But this one, I feel this one actually makes sense to me. So ANA is partnering with Joby, one of the big EV tall makers, to to bring EV tall, they're calling it aerial ride sharing service to Japan. And to me, this actually makes sense. And their press release kind of lists a lot of the reasons why at first this came to mind, but they provide helpful statistics. And to just quote a few, in Japan, 92% of people live in urban areas, and obviously Tokyo being one of the 20 most congested cities in the world. It also seems that if any place is going to take the infrastructure necessary to make this work and be able to build that into their existing infrastructure, Japan seems like a really good place to do it. Sure. (laughs) You're not convinced. No. Japan is a country with one of the most developed transportation systems in the world. I mean, the the subway systems they have in Tokyo and other major cities, the Shinkansen, is amazing. Uh, I'm skeptical that they need anything like this, but will it be operated by Mesa? (laughs) Mesa will have a code share. Ah, there it is. That's a very fair counter argument, good sir. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know much about this, but the EV tall things, just they, they seem to fly at us faster than we can keep track of them. And I don't know what separates one from the other. But should we talk about the CEO resignation from a few days ago? Resignation? Or maybe not resignation, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, involuntary yes, yes, separation. Involuntary separation. Yes, we can certainly discuss that. Go ahead and lay things out for us. Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot after I put you on the spot. You threw it right back Aha! at me. I can't even remember the name of the company. It's Eviation. Eviation. There it is. They are days or weeks away from the first flight of their electric-powered aircraft. It's not a uh, not named a v- Alice. Alice, not a v- EV tall, but just a regular electric aircraft. And Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren, our friend of the podcast, has been out there taking some great photos of the aircraft, which is a spectacularly looking, fine-looking aircraft. It is a really good-looking plane. They had a little runway excursion the other day, no big deal. But they, they were days or weeks away from the first flight of this aircraft. And suddenly the CEO is ousted or something like that, which is not a vote of confidence when you're, you're ramping up to a major, your most significant event ever for the company. And he kind of spilled his beans to John Ostrauer over at the Air Current about the state of electric aircraft and battery technology not progressing to the level that maybe they thought it would or the industry thought it would, where I didn't think it would because my phone still doesn't last more than three hours, so why would an airplane? But not a good look. It it, it seems like a pretty significant hit in my eyes to the reputation of electric aircraft, but hopefully their first flight goes without a hitch and as planned, but never great when a startup has their CEO ousted days before its most significant ever event. Yeah. What got me was that the company initially put out a statement that said, Oh, we're, you know, we're, we've made a leadership change. Everything's great. You know, this was long planned. This is what we've been working towards and things like that. And then the CEO, Omer Boyahe, basically said, No, 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 no. This was not planned. This was not long standing. Any, this is, I'm being kicked out. Yeah, and here's I, why. No, nobody should have believed the company that they would plan a succession for their CEO in the days immediately leading up to their most significant event ever. That's some real PR spin right there. 
But why lie about it? Yeah. Not even why lie about it. Why say anything at all? Also a good point. It makes me question anything else that comes out of that PR shop. They've already shown that they can't be trusted. I, I hope their reputation could be salvaged. Yeah. I mean, you lost all credibility with one press release. Yeah. Hopefully their reputation can be salvaged and the first flight goes without a hitch. But now it, it just makes me question anything that they put out there. Yeah, ex- exactly. But as the not as the PR people noted, as the now former CEO noted, the people that, that built this aircraft are still there. They're still working on it and it is still going to fly soon. So I, I'm very excited to see what happens there and when it flies, uh, we'll hopefully be able to to track it. The kind of other big, well, not the other, the big regulatory news this week was the FAA announced that when 787 deliveries resume, we still don't have a date on that, but when they do resume, the FAA and not Boeing will certify each individual aircraft. So this is similar to what the FAA did with the 737 MAX when it allowed it to return to service. When the FAA allows the 787 to return to service, FAA inspectors will inspect each individual aircraft and sign off on its certificate of airworthiness. Boeing's designated people will not be able to certify the aircraft until the FAA says that Boeing has demonstrated a commitment to quality and safety and the ongoing commitment to to that. So that'll be very interesting to see how long the FAA holds on to, uh, to that certification authority versus designating it back to Boeing. Yeah, sure seems like no 7.8s are going to be delivered anytime soon as well. We had Americans say what they were thinking March just a few weeks ago. Yeah, that doesn't seem likely. (laughs) That just doesn't seem likely anymore. Nope. So on one hand, not great for Boeing, not a huge vote of confidence. On the other hand, it kind of is a small vote of confidence for the FAA that they're saying, you know what? No, we're serious. These are are things we're looking very closely at, and we want to make sure that we get this right. Kind of flies in the face of some other stuff they've failed at recently that we've talked about. So hopefully this is a step in the right direction. It's a big organization, Jason. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Let's see. Should we take a quick break and then come back and we'll talk about some exciting new aircraft that are coming out that aren't really new aircraft at all. We'll talk about orders and we'll head to Singapore for the air show. Lots of good stuff coming up there. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back. It is now time to talk about airplanes that are going to be purchased, leased, converted, sold, and put into service. Jason, you got all that? Or going to cool places. Or going to cool places. So let's start with the the one I'm most excited about. And I'm including the Singapore Airshow orders in this that we'll get to in a minute. But this one's going to be really cool. ST Engineering is going to convert a Boeing 757 into a fire tanker. And I'm really excited about that because that's going to look so cool. Yeah, it'll replace, I guess, or not replace, but fill part of the void that the 747 tanker has left. Or is that coming Yeah, so it uh, maybe, Maybe, who knows? There's, yeah, it's one of those that there's 
their people want to bring it back, but how much money do those people have and can they find the right aircraft and can they, you know, it's one of those things. But this one's actually going to happen with ST Engineering. They're going to do the whole conversion process and the aircraft is scheduled to enter service in sometime in 2024. So that'll be, it'll be an aircraft that holds slightly less retardant or water than the current operating DC-10s that I think 10 Tanker has. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody else is operating DC-10s anymore. I think it's just the the 10 Tanker operators. That'll be something to look forward to in a few years for fighting wildfires. And, And hopefully it goes really well and they do a whole bunch of them because as we know, there are plenty of 757s sitting around. Did you say it holds more or, or less than one of the 10 tanker? Slightly less. Slightly uh, less. I'm, I'm surprised it's anywhere near as much. Those are two very differently sized aircraft. I guess it's how much you can hold in the reservoir, I guess you would call it. So it'll be, yeah, but it, it'll be in, in service in a few years. So that'll be fun to see. Cool. In, I think the, I don't know if it's the least surprising order of this Singapore Air Show week, though it's not really related to Singapore Air Show, JetBlue is taking more A220s. Yes. It's converted but exercised an option to add another 30 A220-300 aircraft to its fleet, bringing the firm orders on its book up to a total of 100. And doing so will allow JetBlue to accelerate the retirement of its E-190 fleet to sometime in 2026. We will see in a few years if that if that timeline holds. That's kind of sad. I love the E-190, and that'll really be the, the end of the type in North America, I think. But do you love the E-190 more than you love the A-220? Uh, I mean, the thing about JetBlue's E-190s are, are they have not been refurbished ever. So they have a cabin that comes straight out of 2005 inside those things. And the A220s are packed with 2021's latest and greatest. So it's hard for me to let the E190 go just because I love the the 2.2 interior of that. No middle seats. You can't beat that. And the A220 does introduce middle seats and will eliminate that perk. But overall, yeah, it's a pretty fine replacement. <laughs> Korean Air has taken delivery of its first 737 MAX, and those are expected to go into service shortly. Yeah, I I wrote about those, about how they were going to uh, reintroduce in-flight Wi-Fi back to Korean Air for the first time in a long time, in I think February 2019, when delivery was imminent at that point. (laughs) It it feels like a lifetime ago, and now they're finally just getting those aircraft. They're not even in the schedule yet, but about time. Yeah, and they also transited via Anchorage on the way over to Seoul. So that was kind of a route that hadn't been employed in some time as far as delivery flights go. So that was uh, interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, kind of uh, good for for Anchorage plane spotters. In one that I know Jason's enjoying immensely, Western Global Airlines has an order for two 777 freighters. Yeah. I don't know why I'm enjoying that immensely. You just seem to be having fun with it. Yeah, good for them. It's it's their first new aircraft for an airline that Boeing, I guess they're technically right, calls an all Boeing airline, even though the bulk of the fleet is actually McDonnell Douglas MD-11s. So that is subject to debate. Well, when McDonnell Douglas bought Boeing and kept the Boeing name, I mean- Yeah, but it's not like an Airbus situation. Like It's an Airbus A220 or a Boeing 717. Nobody calls these things a Boeing MD-11. So- 
whatever. It doesn't matter. Western Global, a pair of new build 777s to complement their a couple 747s and, and MD-11s. Good for them. And now we get to the Singapore Air Show. Jason, tell us what we've won. Well, you have won a pair of Alliance Air ATR-42 600s operating Ooh. into uh, the Himalayas on behalf of, I guess that would be Alliance Air is an affiliate of Air India, I believe. So that that's interesting. Moving right along. This may not be specifically related to the Singapore Air Show, but I'll give it to you anyway. Air Lease Corporation has placed 25 737 MAX 8s with Malaysian Air. Deliveries start in 2023 through early 2026. The aircraft actually come from ALC's backlog. I think Malaysian actually has its own backlog of, of MAX aircraft coming, so that's interesting. Moving right along, Kuwait-based Jazeera Airways has confirmed or reconfirmed 28 A320 Neo family aircraft coming off an MOU signed late last year, so not really a new order, but apparently I guess some paperwork has been signed and some may- maybe some money has been transferred, so that's something that's coming. Aviation Capital Group finalized an order for 20 A220s. That, that's, that's great. I don't know who will end up operating those, but somebody will get them. And last but not least, actually, that is last but not least. That's it. Unless, do you have any more? Oh, wait, there's one more. Eddie there's, had. There's one more. Eddie yeah. had. Takes, is it a pair of? It's seven. Seven. Seven A350 freighters, the newly launched freighter variant of the A350, to match its fleet of idled passenger A350 1000s that were delivered and immediately put into storage and, and never acknowledged again. So that's nice. They painted one of them. Yeah. They're, I think they're in Abu Dhabi, maybe, or they were at some point, but they, they sat around. And yeah. Airbus facilities for a long time eventually ended up going to Abu Dhabi and they've just been hanging out there for years at this point. And apparently Eddie Hat says we want more. They want the ones that can carry cargo. They want the ones that hold instead boxes of just look instead pretty. of humans. Exactly. So yeah, they they had the A three thirty freighters. They had the 747 freighters and they have the triple seven freighters. And then they got rid of the A three thirty freighters and now they're gonna have the A three fifty freighters. Okay. So more capacity, more capacity. Sure. All right, Jason, here's one that I know you're actually excited about. Yeah. You've got the story about Eurowings highlighted, bolded. It's in, it's in title word size font. Remember the, the sparkly word, word art from like art. Microsoft Word 97? If, oh, if I could do that. All I too would. well. But all it, too it, well. It's not too often that we get a new route that has never existed before. And, and Eurowings Discover, which is – a variant of Eurowings, which is the low-cost, long-haul variant of Lufthansa Group. I have no idea what the difference is between Eurowings and Eurowings Discover. But Eurowings Discover announced uh, late last week that they will be operating the first-ever intercontinental service to Kruger National Park, which is a very, very popular tourist destination in South Africa, which previously you could only get to with regional flights, mainly from Cape Town or Johannesburg on Airlink or maybe FastJet from Zimbabwe. The flight will begin in November of this year, operating three times weekly. It is not a nonstop. They have to operate by a windhoek. Did I get that right? Each I, way. I, close enough for me. In and out. So it's not. It's a quick turn. I don't think there are any tr- local traffic rights between the two cities. So you'll have to put up with a quick stop on the same aircraft, but that's probably a lot easier than coming from anywhere else in the world and then having to deal with clearing immigration and then hopping on Airlink or anything. So pretty cool. Not often we get a new route that has 
probably never existed before. Yeah, I, I can't think of any time that that particular ad spender operated. It's nice to see kind of them coming up with a creative way to to get people there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see an, uh, an aircraft like an A330 in this little airport. By the way, the flight operates from Frankfurt. That's probably an important detail, but it being Eurowings, you probably already assumed that. Somewhere in Germany was was my start, but yeah. Let's see. To close out the show, we have a few tidbits about uh, particular aircraft. United's Star Wars livery, 737, has gone to paint no. in Amarillo. Come on. Who knows if it has a, a special livery upcoming or if it will just come out in the new Evo blue livery. We don't know yet. That's one to keep an eye on. I hope it's just being touched up. I never got to get a good shot of that one. It always came in on the weekend or after sunset. I finally saw it the other day in awful light, but I was really hoping to get a good shot of that one day. And hopefully I didn't miss my chance. And then Qatar Airways is celebrating its 25th anniversary. So it has begun putting special decals on most of its, I think it's on three or four aircraft now, and it's going to hit most of the fleet. So look for those in front of the, the forward entry door. And they have, in celebration of that anniversary, painted one of their 777s, ironically enough, in Toulouse, painted one of their 777s, A7BAC, in a retro livery that I think looks quite sharp. It's not, is it a real retro livery or did they make one up like JetBlue did? I don't think it's a proper retro livery, but now I'm going to have to go back and look. Yeah, you will, but I think they made one up like JetBlue did that time. Yeah, it's it's retro-ish. Retro-ish, yeah. But in any case, A7's nice. BAC, check it out, coming to an airport near you. And before we go, Jason, you brought this one to my attention, and we will put absolutely put a link to the show notes, link to the report in the show notes, because it contains photos that are just too good to pass up. Tell me about what happened to a drone. A drone. Recently. October 27th, 2021. This report comes to us from the Accident and Incident Investigations Division of the South African Civil Aviation Authority. A drone was, I guess, let me back up for a second. This is a, a prosumer level drone, not like a Reaper drone or anything like this. This is a DJI Mavic 2 Pro that you could go to Best Buy and buy. It was over at about 400 feet over a mine where some sort of explosion was ongoing. I guess they were mining and they were using the drone to figure out what, or, or to watch the process going on. And apparently six minutes into the flight, things went a little wrong. And I'll, I'll quote from the what happened section of the incident report. The rock struck the drone and subsequently all connectivity with the drone was lost due to the possibility of the battery being knocked off the drone. Following the accident, the pilot contacted the responsible blaster, who assisted in the search for the drone, but without success. It was assumed that the drone fell onto the blasting block and was buried under 109,609 meters cubed of blasted material. I'm not sure if that's right or if that's a PDS It's a lot of rock. It's a lot of rock. <laughs> good weather conditions with surface winds of 6 knots, temperature of 21 Celsius, and good visibility prevailed at the time of flight. There are some amazing, admittedly low resolution images of the, the blast happening. And then the final still image that the drone recorded was just this rock in front of everything else being propelled at the drone at probably a phenomenal speed. And little, yeah. little registered ZT UVW was never seen again. 
and the probable cause is, quote, the rock propelled by the blast struck the drone <laughs> during a blast operation. The res- this resulted in the drone falling into the blasting rock rubble and likely got buried under the blasted material. So this, I don't know, maybe is the first ever full investigation into a drone accident. If one has happened before, I haven't seen it. But I was just very impressed by the, the South African CAA's incident report of rock hit drone Drone they were pilot. thorough. They were extremely they were thorough. thorough, and I thank them for publishing these photos. So that was the probable cause, the contributing factor. Just quote, the drone operator misjudged the drone's safe vertical distance from the blast debris. Safety recommendation, drone operator must determine the safe distance from any possible unsafe areas of operation. So basically, fly higher next time. <laughs> if you're going to blow stuff up, make sure you're not Put directly a little more distance between the drone and the the fast Uh, blowy up bits next time. And that is all we have for episode 151. We got a lot of great feedback about last episode. I I think it's because everyone loves Ned so much and has less to do with you and I. But even if that's the case, we do want to hear about it. If you're so inclined, head to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a rating or review. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you want to see more of. And let us know if you want something to change. You can also email us, podcast at fr24.com and yell at Jason and I, or or anyone that needs yelling at, feel free to put it in that email as well. We do take a look at all of those emails and go through them. So thank you everyone so very much for listening. And we will talk to you next week. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.